0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to or back to another episode of Black Sheep and Bad Apples. This is a history podcast where I take a dive into history and tell my friends all about it. My friends today is with the last two episodes are Sam and Kyle. Oh, so
1: we're friends now? I'm here. Wow. <laughs> we're pals,
0: co hosts, guests. I, What's up? Did I insult you this early in the podcast, Sam? Uh
1: well, I mean, I was insulted just
2: to be <laughs> on the podcast, but here I am. And I, was, I was insulted by association. So, yeah, so I've really we are furious. i
0: sucked up the beginning to this episode already. <laughs>
2: yep. Make it a quick one. Amen. 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 Yeah, come on, Tap, on.
0: Tapping on your watch. Come on, buddy. Let's Time go. is money. Let's go. So this is a uh, episode three of four covering PG and E. So if you listener, uh, haven't listened to the first two episodes. You should probably go back and do that now, um, because it's you know pretty important for the rest of this podcast. Um,
1: you might feel a little lost. If
0: you yeah, don't. it's true. And uh, before we get to what's happening next in our story, gentlemen, how are you guys feeling about this story? Do you guys th- do you guys have any predictions? Sensations you're feeling in your body?
2: I I think that everything is going to trend upwards as it has been. Uh, No growth. Uh, You're failing if you're not growing. Uh, So uh, it's only going to be good things as it has been. All right. Uh, Everyone's going to be happy. Uh, Rainbow farts and sunshine and kittens and whatnot. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Nothing (laughs) will ever happen when money is on
1: the line. Folks, here's the real deal right <laughs> big corporations like this they they're the best mm-hmm. they they really they they never ever do anything that's uh, you know not in the public's best interest yeah yeah and, and and so as we go forward in this story from here on I just want you to keep in 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 mind that corporations are people too they ha- yeah. yeah I, I... and, and, and we have to be able to forgive people if they make a little mistake (laughs) when their intentions were good
0: yeah definitely
2: and and if you find yourself going how many times am i supposed to keep forgiving this individual that might be a corporation i say consult the new testament 70 times seven times so just keep Mm -hmm. forgiving the corporate overlords guys right yeah right Overlords.
0: i I think you mean the word benefactor then Turn effect. the yeah.
1: other cheek like you were standing in the center of a merry-go-round. Exactly.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, I, you know, I guess we'll see how this, um, how this episode plays out, and uh, we'll see, we'll see, how, we'll see how you guys this feel at all... the end. All right. So, as we pick up from our last episode, we're entering the year nineteen ninety-four. And it's uh, safe to say PG&E has done a lot of shit. They've built a lot of stuff, you know. And uh, a proportion of their energy um, is created and transmitted through the Sierra Nevada Mountains. And those Sierra Nevada Mountains, just west of Yuba City, is a small town called Rough and Ready. And I did not make that up.
1: Is
2: it brought to you by Little Caesars? <laughs> like- <laughs> <laughs>
0: And uh, rough uh and... hold on a second. Okay. We all
1: met in a town called Hayfork, so that's fair. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Mm-hmm. But
0: Hayfork is just two words smashed together. This is three words, yeah. so I don't. <laughs> if, if it was called
2: Bowl Hayfork, i mean, I, "This is a stupid place." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bowl Hayf- Hayfork. Hayfork's,
0: Hayfork's a cool name, as we all yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah and in rough and ready got its name from the the name of the mining company rough and ready company uh when they had set up there in 1849 so that's where the we get a little history Towns
2: are people people are corporations towns are corporations yeah these all
0: yep, yeah yep. yeah it all checks out. <laughs> we've completed the circle
2: <laughs> one
1: big happy circle
0: on august 7th 1994 a fire started in downtown rough and ready on a windy day, an oak branch reached out and touched a 21,000-volt p- power line. A power line owned by PG&E. The Troner Fire burned 500 acres of rough and ready. It destroyed a schoolhouse that had been built in 1868. It also destroyed 12 homes and 22 other buildings. After the fire, from an Gate article, quote, State forestry investigators dis- uh, determined that the blaze began when a 21,000-volt power line brushed against a tree limb that the utility was supposed to keep trimmed. In random spot inspections, the investigators found several hundred safety violations in Western Nevada County. Nearly 200 of the violations involved burners, where the contact where there was contact between vegetation and a power line. "End quote."
1: Um, and now I will admit, you said Nevada County,
0: right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Nevada County's pretty big. It's a big place. Yeah, but that still seems like. A too, lot. Many, too many safety <laughs> violations and you know they didn't look at every foot of line yeah oh, okay. they didn't look yeah. at every foot they, did, they didn't look at every every mile of line they looked at a a selection of it yeah. oh, of, yeah. and said wow they
0: drove by it and nodded wow, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. this is still from that sf gate article uh quote at the trial the prosecutors harped on PGE's Chronic and widespread pattern of corporate negligence, uh, saying that PG&E ignored the tree-clearing law uh, to, to cut costs and to keep its annual profits above the $1 billion mark. And Gotta
1: quote. have them billions.
0: Yeah, so pg and um, had been trying to save money, as it looks better to shareholders, any way it could. And so at some point between 1994, they had decided to cut spending on transmission line maintenance. And this would be just the beginning of all these fires. In nineteen ninety five, PGE creates PGE Corporation. So we've got a hero enters the story, guys. I um, love. It.
2: We... <laughs> love when the hero enters in the third act. You know, but good... uh
0: good for them. They they deserve it. Um <laughs> Um so we talked a little bit about umbrella corporations in the last episode and, and it's a little bit confusing. The Umbrella Corporation? Uh no. Oh that's... sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. <laughs> totally different. Although Yeesh no never mind (laughs) Um, and again like umbrella corporations can be like a little bit confusing and I find them confusing Um, but it's you know basically like how the
1: ball jar company makes spy satellites yeah pretty fucking confusing to me too I'm unaware of that out of
2: jars (laughs) no Oh, okay good (laughs) just a big jar <laughs> floating around up there just like waiting for an accident.
1: yeah we just made giant jars and we
2: shoot them up there big
0: jars and that we put astronaut, astronauts in
2: <laughs> no I'm just the pict- astronauts are actually fireflies we caught in the jars <laughs> first bugs in space and so yeah
0: pg&e corporation you know as the umbrella is created and that also means that pg&e corp is legally distinct from pacific gas and electric company um although pg&e corporation uses pg&e company products you know to conduct all of its operations they are again legally distinct um but they're very much the same organization so we're just going to be calling anybody
1: anybody can do this yeah yeah that's you can you can you can make a corporation right and then like put your house is now owned by the corporation that you own yeah. right so if somebody sues you because of something that happens at your the house that your corporation owns they can't sue you they can only sue the corporation
0: legal advice and corp- from sam and mitchell if the,
1: corp- <laughs> if the corporation has no assets beyond the, the asset of the building then that's it that's all you can get from them and you know
0: that's pretty cool
1: America so, so that's what that's what umbrella corporations are doing.
0: Yeah. And right? uh,
1: they're, they're, they're layering up corporate protection around themselves for the things that they own so that they don't have to hold direct responsibility for all the fuck ups.
0: Yeah, you basically just explained basically explained the shell game. Uh you know, and, and as you're mentioning, you know, uh it's important to, to make sure that we understand that PG&E company is still a regulated thing, but pg&e corporation is an unregulated thing um and so being incorporated now pg&e saw something that they could do which was um sell off their infrastructure to other private companies and i'm not talking about like bulldozer bulldozers and supplies and shit like they started selling off their energy producing stations as well why because now they can finally begin to make some fucking money real money oh yeah so they start selling off shit because they're prepared for what's coming next. Um, also in 1996, or in 1996 rather, um, the same year that the Hinkley groundwater contamination case was settled for $333 million, Calif- California did a really cool thing. They deregulated energy. It took, it took a lot of out-of-state lobbying as well as a legal fight, but they were able to accomplish it. Effectively PG- PG&E was now able to buy energy uh, wherever it could, rather than from its own energy generating facilities. This allowed the free market to enter the markets of supplying Californians with energy. So, oh
1: boy, the flat earthers like that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, libertarians. Libertarians. My libertarians. Bad. Sorry. So, Yeah,
0: <laughs> they're kind of one in the same. Uh, oh so de- <laughs> deregulation. <laughs> Fucking. Fucking real talk. Taking flack over here, the libertarians. <laughs> Uh so deregulation with all the uh lobbyists involved had to benefit someone, right? Um there are certain people who profit from it. Um so guys, who do you who do you think profited from this?
2: The people. <laughs> I believe wholeheartedly that there was equal profit sharing amongst all of their uh their asset holders and then and
0: their, their their guys who are definitely their employees, not like three dudes. Okay. Interesting answer, Sam.
2: Sam. you done crying or dying over there? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sam's red in the face, listeners. Oh.
1: <laughs> wow! I I just assume it's the it's the end end user consumer.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, the uh, end user consumer
1: that that benefits the most from this. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: Interesting answers. Um, Now, we're going to get to a guy I'm affectionately calling Angry Jim in just a few minutes, but before we get to him, let's read from a Texas-based energy provider's website, which describes how good deregulation was for everyone. This is from quickelectricity.com. Quote, California was the first state in the country to introduce deregulated energy in 1996. The California Public Utilities Commission, CPUC, lifted caps on electrical uh, supply prices, allowing electricity prices to respond to to free market supply and demand. Public utility providers were encouraged to sell their plants and supply chain to privately owned companies, which increased competition for retail uh, consumers and resulted in lower prices than before. The deregulation of energy in California has significantly helped deliver more reliable gas and electrico- uh, electricity services back into California homes. Businesses can now operate without fear of losing revenue due to blackouts. As a result, businesses and residents have more providers' choices and competitive rates." End quote. So that's pretty cool. They're saying that like, because the CPUC pulled the regulations back? PG&E can can now like respond more competitively. and Competition naturally breeds innovation, and innovation, you know, is obviously going to provide cheap energy. You know, and since they're selling their plants, P isn't technically producing energy, so parts of their organization don't fall under the CPUC's authority. So this is all this is all working out for everybody, right? Seems sounds like, like it. Sounds yeah, sounds perfect. Sounds perfect well let's uh let's see what angry jim thinks because um, as i said angry jim thinks that this is all bullshit though the article pg need deregulation a colossal failure by colossal imbeciles was written in 2001 by jim angry jim angry jim shields and was republished in the Uki- the ukiah daily journal in february of 2020 while the article itself reads like a, uh, a kind of a hybrid of early 2000s blog posts and a hard-hitting George Carlin bit, it contains some pretty sweet gems and is just like a really great article overall. And the best thing about it, I think, is that you can really kind of hear how pissed off Jim is. And we're going to read uh, from a section from that now to help us look at uh, a 1990-60 regulation. Um, now, the the selection that I've, I've taken is a little bit longer, but uh, it's because I think jim is really good at explaining things um so listeners if you'd like you should go check out that article anyway quote the entire state legislature california's legislature uh, voted unanimously to unleash economic havoc on an unsuspecting public those elected leaders colossal imbeciles each and every one are responsible for the deregulation fiasco and this is a little later in the article Truly great leaders like Teddy Roosevelt, a grand old Republican, figured out a century ago that certain sectors of our economy must be monitored and regulated because of the typical forces of free market could not control the resulting anti-competitive, monopolistic behavior inherent to such economic endeavors. Teddy used his big stick to bust the trusts, which is what folks called monopolies back then. He also brought the monopolies under the first public control. While Teddy was bringing the monopolists to heel back east, Californians in the early 1900s were rounding up Southern Pacific Railroad and the gas and electrical utilities which own state and local uh, local governments lock, stock, and barrel. An aroused citizenry brought the railroad and utility giants to their knees, primarily through the creation of public commissions with broad regulatory authority over these industries. I've said it before and I'll say it again, for almost a hundred years, California's utility policy was pretty straightforward. In return for allowing PG and E in Southern California Edison to continue to do business as legal monopolies, their rates and services would be subject to the control of the Public Utilities Commission. That was the basic trade-off. Theoretically, and most of the time in practice, the PUC set rates charged to the public on a standard of cost-based pricing. Whatever it cost, uh, the utilities to actually produce energy was factored into the basic rate plus a reasonable margin for profits, end quote. So, again, Jim's pretty, he's a little angry here, and I like it. We're gonna get back to Jim, um, in our next episode, um... But I, I also think the, the contrast between these articles is really uh, lovely because, like, the Texas-based quickelectricity.com uses positive words like allowed and helped and encouraged, whereas Jim uses words like imbecile, unleashed, and fucking fiasco. <laughs> it's just such a, like, you can tell uh, who's got an interest in, in deregulation at this point, point, I think it's a pretty stark contrast.
2: <laughs> yeah... buzzwords man you gotta use the right buzzwords it sells everything yeah it's all about it's all about semantics yeah it's all about rhetoric
0: it's pretty cool um so you know the reason the texas based company is saying it's sweet as hell and jim is saying it's stupid is because texas made a shitload of money where uh you know from deregulation while californians got fucked but we're you know getting a little ahead of ourselves because also in 1996, while PG&E Corp. and CPUC are debating deregulation, a substation in the Mission District of San Francisco caught fire. After it was oh, extinguished, that's
1: that's not going to go badly.
0: After it was extinguished, investigators determined that there had been a failure with one of their electrical cables. PG&E took a long look at its own and vet investigators' findings and put their foot down. They were going to stop this from ever happening again. And the way PG&E can ensure <laughs> that
2: hey, wait, wait, wait—they're gonna stop fires ever happening again in San Francisco. That's like a time-honored tradition at this point. It's <laughs> taking San Francisco. It really is. They have the right to fires.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, they've earned it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> they get a little fire as a treat.
2: <laughs> yeah. Every few years, we burn most of their shit down.
0: <laughs> and uh, Jesus Christ so uh the way pg&e could ensure that it didn't happen was to uh install uh install smoke detectors uh they also would have an alarm system <laughs> that would provide pg&e operators more information so they could better assess uh, and address the issue uh pg&e would also get procedures written in conjunction with local firefighters established for a, uh, a co- kind of a cohesive and coordinated emergency response to any fires
1: what year we're in like almost to 2000 at this point
0: yeah this is 1996 okay
1: so there is it the the idea like oh smoke detectors yeah smoke detectors man (laughs) we have had we have had we've had like automatic fire suppression systems in Mm -hmm. place in buildings and things for a hundred years at that point you know what i mean yeah and and we these are Put out. we can we have stuff that can put out anything we we have systems that just like inundate the entire area with so much co2 that fire just stops happening
0: yeah
1: right like
0: so it's pretty cool. Uh, so, so yeah, they, they installed the smoke detectors, and they're also like uh, working with firefighters to to respond to, to issues at the mission station, uh, the mission substation in the future. Uh, they would also remove and replace fam- flammable insulation and power down unnecessary ener- un- unnecessarily energized auxiliary equipment. So, they're taking away the flammable stuff. They're you know these guys they're really stepping their game up here. You know they're 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 pioneers in their industry. <laughs> 1996 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) smoke detectors top of the line you getting any red flags from that
1: (laughs) sounds like a carnival to me
0: PG&E told uh, authorities they would do uh, all of that to ensure the safety of their facilities especially the mission district substation in the next year, 1996. Oh, actually, this is the same year. pg e was found guilty of seven hundred uh, and thirty-nine counts of negligence in the 1994 Troner fire case. It took an hour and a half to read off all the charges against them.
2: Oh.
0: <laughs> For oh. reference, each of these episodes has been about an hour and a half. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, so we're doing a bonus episode <laughs> where we just read off the charges. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, oh.
1: get no, one of you, those. You,
2: get you one read off the charges, and then we place bets on each charge as to whether it sticks or not.
1: Ooh,
2: ooh, that's like well, a that could be like a whole side side game. Well, side game. Spoiler. God, freaking, freaking game. Let's do it. Uh, hold on, Lauren. Shut up. Hear <laughs> <You're must>.
1: um. <laughs> Okay,
0: I'm not listening. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, uh,
1: spin off. That's all I'm saying. Well,
0: spoiler alert, Kyle. Uh, they were, according to another SFGate article, quote, convicted of 739 counts of criminal negligence for failing to trim trees near power lines. Uh, the biggest criminal conviction ever against the state's largest utility, end quote. And I haven't found any information about what they were fined, uh, but the biggest and the most costly are all headlines you, you read all the time when it comes to these things in the newspapers. Um, so it'll kind of be a theme for PG&E, which is, which is cool. You know, they're breaking records. Again, pioneers in their, <laughs> <Breaking> <laughs> in their records. Industry. Um Oh, my God but something hella cool happened that we mentioned earlier. Uh, in 1996, CPUC and PG&E agreed to de- deregulate, and uh, and good for them. I'm, I'm excited for them. Um, to do so, though, they needed to figure out how it would work. Like, how do you deregulate that which was previously regulated? Well, they decided on creating what would be known as the power exchange. It was like a stock market, but deregulated. I'm going to read again from Catherine Blunt's amazing book, California Burning. Quote, Sam, did you have a thought? <laughs> quote, as a part of the deregulation push, California's utilities ceded control over two key variables in that in that process, power plants and transmission lines, allowing for the creation of the power exchange, end quote. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this could only go good.
0: To reemphasize this, I'm going to read from a court filing that inevitably came after deregulation and this is uh this is a court filing against PG&E from the state of California v PG&E quote prior to 1996 California's utilities were vertically integrated. They were allowed to generate, transmit, and distribute electricity to their customers. In September 1996, the California legislature enacted enacted Assembly Bill 1890 in order to restructure the electric industry and bring uh, competition to California's electric generation market by requiring utilities to separate their electric generation operations from their electric power transmissions and distribution operations. AB 1890 required PG&E and other California utilities to divest their generation Facilities, except for their hydroelectric generation assets. End quote. <laughs> so pg and in an effort like deregulation uh, to deregulate and make the market like allegedly more free and cheap, just sells over like two very vestigial parts of g- generate, you know, generating electricity.
1: <laughs> On the up and um... Okay, so they, they're, like, required to get rid of all their generation stations except for the hydroelectric.
0: More or less, yeah. Okay. So that's cool. Okay. Um,
1: now, now it's but, not their problem.
0: Yeah, but it's also everyone else's problem because energy isn't exactly, like, a simple thing. Uh, you have to know when to produce energy and how much, and that kind of seems like simple and basic concepts, but you also have to channel this power through various predetermined energy transmission lines, which act like highways. And these transmission lines and highways have another thing in common, which is they can get bogged down with too much traffic if you're not like coordinating all this right
1: a good way to think about electricity especially in the way that they push it around in those big wires is like water in pipes yeah if you if you run voltage towards itself like you run vo- that you can create resistance in a wire by pushing voltage from both ends of the wire yeah right like you got so it could you know that's what's happening and and if you can imagine like uh over pressurizing a pipe in the wrong direction yeah uh or at like a check valve yeah (laughs) you you might just blow apart the whole thing and those check valves are like the stations that caught
2: on fire
0: yeah yeah right sort of and so
2: if only that had been water that would not have (laughs) been a fire (laughs) i mean that's fair
0: so yeah you know as sam you were saying you have to know like how and when to send power, how much of it to send. You have to coordinate with other grid operators and to see if they have availability. And all this was previously done under PG&E's more or less watchful eye. Um, And so... And and also like PG&E workers on the ground and in the plants have like layers of reasoning, little methodologies. You know, you gotta you gotta smack the wrench on this thing in order for it to stop humming or whatever. You know that they, they have these little techniques for doing things a certain way, and all of these are precise things that keep a steady flow of energy between consumers, power lines, and power plants. And all of these were again were just once overseen by PG&E. But deregulation, however, created a vast infrastructure. Uh, or a, sorry, a vast fracture between energy provider. Uh, producer and PG&E, who's now just the middleman. So everything is going smoothly, right? Yeah. <laughs> this isn't yeah. this isn't foreboding. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it doesn't make any sense to have all of that stuff under one cohesive roof. No, no. Where, where you you've got one, you got one castle to go to with the pitchfork mob. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's. That doesn't make sense from yep, the no. consumer public point
2: of view or or no. or being able to hold anybody accountable. No, no. Yeah, I'm not like a very mechanically minded person, but I have heard uh as many moving parts as possible is always better. <laughs> uh, the more parts you <laughs> have going, the more likely one of them will fail and you won't you'll have to look at all of them to figure out which one's bad. It just adds a lot of uh cohesive operation Yeah, yeah. At
0: all <laughs> really makes everything run smoothly <laughs> yeah.
1: if you like sarcasm that you can cut with a knife black uh-huh. sheep of that apple yeah
0: for sure <laughs> so now PGE uh New corporation uh, they stopped producing energy and they're in their, the in the market of buying energy because again a free market will uh, will regulate itself and uh, in 1996 they began the deregulation process with a little bit of lobbying from a little energy commodities trader you might have heard about called enron
2: Oh, yeah, boy. I,
1: oh, yes. Yes. Just so much yes. Just, oh. These guys
2: are heroes.
1: They,
2: hey, anybody who has a baseball stadium or a football stadium named after them couldn't have done anything wrong. No. And all JAR Stadium exists. You know, and by oh, the way. By the cool.
0: way, like earlier in the episode we had talked about um that that Texas company Quick Electricity and why they were stoked about deregulation dereg- and shit. And uh it's because Enron who uh who en- Enron was like a a legit energy company before they started not becoming that and then it imploded. Um and they were also Texas based. So deregulation allowed Enron and other Texas companies to step into the energy producing market in California. <laughs> so so that's pretty cool They was taking in the game I think uh, Enron even buys shares of PG&E at one point I just ha- I had to cut a lot of shit out of this so. As an
2: individual though Not as a yeah. company right yeah. so, okay.
0: so I am the person Enron Yeah. Oh my
1: fucking
2: god <laughs> Yeah I'm all for individuals being able to do whatever they want So this, this is great
0: Yeah Anyway, it's not a simple thing to build like an energy stock exchange from the bottom up. Uh, you've got to, you know, have like a set of rules uh, so people don't abuse the system. But since it'll be deregulated, it also won't be monitored by watchdog groups like the CPUC. And since we all know the main characters involved in this are uh, in this new system are surely working in good faith, like even if some of them found a loophole, the open and deregulated market wouldn't work to actively exploit that, right? Like, the, the deregulated free market wouldn't take advantage of a money-making trick, right? No. Yeah. They,
1: they would be like, they would, what they would do, okay, here's what they would do is <laughs> the moment they saw that that existed, mm-hmm. they would immediately, immediately start notifying the people that, that, that would oversee or help them oversee this okay. to ask them to create a rule or a law
2: to close that loophole there's a lot of regulations and deregulation yeah yeah, yeah.
0: exactly well yeah, and again so well again you got to build it from the bottom up so you know you gotta stitch together the uh, you, it's called darning your socks when you sew together your toes again so yeah. you gotta darn just the socks.
2: your toes.
1: You just have the,
0: the socks, How like the toes t- on you
1: sewed your toes together. you <laughs> Weird,
2: weird friend of mine. Uh,
0: hey, don't don't kink shame.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <gasps> oh and, no. Anyway, I'm not kink kink shaming. I'm kink pitying on that. One. <laughs> kink sad.
0: Anyway, so of course these people aren't going to take advantage of these money making tricks. Um, so probably nothing to think about. And, uh, oh, hey, let's, uh, let's read this excerpt from uh, Burning California for absolutely no reason at all. Uh, quote, Building an, electric- an electricity market is a daunting challenge. Unlike physical commodities such as oil and gas, electricity is subject to a special set of constraints. Most critically, supply and demand levels must be kept in constant equilibrium. If demand exceeds supply even by a small amount, wide swaths of the grid become vulnerable to failure because of the way the system is calibrated, which are basically blackouts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rolling
2: rolling
1: blackouts. Yeah.
0: Maintaining the balance is a challenge because electricity is generally consumed the moment it's produced. Storing it had, until recently, been difficult and expensive, so there's not a meaningful uh, surplus held in reserve for one to use during supply uh, supply crunches. In transmission lines, the high-voltage highways traversing long distances can handle only a certain amount of electricity. They become congested if too much is loaded in the same way a blocked shipping channel disrupts uh, global supply chains. (laughs) I like that she she casts a little shade. (laughs) Uh, In order for the grid to function smoothly, power plants must produce exactly enough electricity to meet demand, and the electricity must travel unimpeded along transmission lines connecting those plants with cities and towns. Quote, so... Uh, end quote and so like rather than being tightly monitored by by PG&E and CPUC grid operators transmission line operators and power generators all now operate independently of one another and would be kind of vaguely monitored by the power exchange and uh, so they'd have to work together you know they'd have to work together to ensure California's got their energy needs met so it's cool it's you know a bunch of dudes getting together seeing how they could do you know bring some good into the world you know the
1: now i have a i have a question because i know in like in new york there is a government entity that that basically controls the distribution and production of the power at the power plants and where it's going and stuff like that literally like the whole state is controlled from one command center like it was nasa yeah um is there not something like this in place in california like to at least because that's that's that that's, that's that that command center's job is to keep blackouts from happening in this way.
0: Yeah. Well, what's so a, what's happening is why,
1: P- why isn't that a thing? Well, and see, <laughs> Here. here's the
0: thing: PG and E is the essentially that that like control center that you're talking about, but they've got to tap into other uh, grid operations because th- those right, are sold right, off now, right, and right, then those right. grid operations have to tap into whatever uh, power supplies that they have. And uh, all that has to happen in order for PG&E to successfully order um, energy and to pass it, you know, everybody has to be in a cohesive, working as a cohesive unit now. And so PG&E is just like the the I don't know the middleman, if you will. So mm-hmm. like th- they're kind of vestigial themselves when you really get into it, because they're, I mean, the the only reason they're continuing to to produce anything is because they have held so much like actual physical assets. You know, they've held the transmission lines and the power grids and stuff like that. And so they've kind of positioned themselves to be at the middle of all this. Um, and uh, especially now here at deregulation, they're uh, kind of just exchanging, you know, the the hand exchanger kind of guys. So another cool thing that happened um, was in 1998, the public learned that PG&E from an SFGate article, quote, illegally pocketed $80 million dollars and guys, I want you guys to That's guess.
1: That's nothing. These guys make a billion that. dollars. That's like a simple mistake. <laughs> not, a, like a rounding error. Or, or, yeah. <laughs>
0: you guys want to guess how they uh, how they were able to uh, to illegally pocket eighty million dollars?
1: Charging people shit they weren't supposed to charge them for. Okay. late fees late fees <laughs> yeah. well after
0: a year long investigation by CPUC it, dis- it was discovered that PG&E's quote vegetation management budget had decreased by 25% despite significant growth in the size of PG&E's d- distribution uh, during the during 18 18- oh, 1985 <laughs> <in> ni- <laughs> 1985 and 1990 the report said investigators also found that tree trimming expenditure was less than the CPUC had authorized the utility to obtain from ratepayers to spend for that purpose in every year except one in 1995 so the year after the troner fire where a tree gets set on fire pg and he's like oh no no we're gonna start spending money again on on tree maintenance because it's like it scared them <laughs> and so yeah they they did that really cool thing um and still from that SFGate article, quote, responding coolly to a report accusing it of underspending in, in its tree trimming budget by $80 million and diverting the money to profits, PG&E insisted Friday that its program is exemplary and that its past misdeeds can be explained. <laughs> a PG&E spokesman at the time said, although the utility senior staff is still studying the report, we're confident that we'll be able to explain what's in it. When it's looked at closely, we'll see that there are explanations for what's happening here, end quote. <laughs>
1: Wow! Yo, know, I was just watching George Carlin give some, you know, humorous uh, address at the Washington press conference or something like that, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how all this language like that, how yeah. they, they, that's the language used by people who are trying to like weasel their way <laughs> out of getting in trouble. To, to me, it
0: feels to me it feels like one of those like no 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 we we can explain oh, everything. I know it brutal. looks bad. I know it looks bad. We got it. Let, the let me truth explain. Is gonna come out. Yeah, <laughs>
1: we, we're going to get to the bottom of this.
0: <laughs> so, pg uh, and ended up settling out of court for uh, twenty-nine million dollars for that. So they you rake in who's responsible. They rake in eighty million dollars, guys, and they're slapped on the hands with a twenty-nine million dollar fine. So they made a profit. I
2: can do, math. They made a profit. That is, yeah, that's, that's cool, just, right?
0: Oh,
1: okay, it's cool, right? All that money. Should have been taken away from them. I'm sorry. Dude, at you, stole least. That. Yeah. you stole that. Well, you stole it, that. Is it supposed to be you punitive? Take, you take that money. No, this is what you do. You take that money, then you go pay the companies they were supposed to pay to do the work they were supposed to pay them to do so yeah. the work is done. Yeah. And Amen. You, you take. More money from them. Yeah,
0: because it's supposed to be punitive.
1: thirty more million dollars yeah. from
0: them, <laughs> and say if you do it to again, do, we're taking to more.
1: Facilitate to pay people to do all that shit that they should have done. Yeah, fuck off.
0: So yeah, they they still made a profit from that, and it's a it's a really cool message because they without an actual punishment, as you were saying, Sam, uh they're kind of incentivized to just keep doing crimes. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> and and guess what? We're gonna take a break, and when we come back. These guys are definitely going to turn turn over a new leaf, right? Like yeah. Our hero. I should have
1: brought an oxygen bottle, I can already
0: tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you on the other side, listeners. <laughs> All right. And we're back. <laughs> in 1998, Tim Belden was an Enron trader who was looking to expand Enron's holdings in the California... <laughs> Sam, your fucking suspicious face cracked me up. Uh, and with the emerging <laughs> was like, oh, wait, we're back? Okay. Yeah. All right. And with the emerging deregulation, he found a way to do it. He discovered loopholes in the uh, deregulations that he was going to use to his advantage. Now, let's be clear. Tim Belden was doing the following intentionally. It wasn't like, a, I accidentally stumbled and fell and that's why my hand is in the cookie jar kind of a thing. Like, he, he's very much intentionally doing this, which you'll notice. Um Tim, uber genius, Belden, noted if the uh, energy producers withheld their energy, the energy market, like the energy value, went up. Supply and demand, right? People need power, and if they don't have it, they're willing to pay more. To get Beers. The old yeah. De Beers technique. Yeah, so this story's already starting off terribly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, the De Beers is a pretty good corporation. They've never yeah, done anything sure. wrong. We won't even
0: f- get into that. Honestly, Sam? They're my favorite corporation, to be honest. And I've always said
1: that. A diamond is forever. So, <laughs> so, is, so is diamond blood diamonds.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so grid operators who essentially ran energy highways throughout the region, uh, they would sometimes be like paid to create energy congestion on their lines. Um, and it's a simple concept, really. Make a problem and then offer to sell the solution to the problem. Uh, and it was another way of leveraging utility, uh, leveraging a utility that the public relies on in order to make money. Here's Catherine Blunt in her excellent book, California Burning. Quote, one of Belden's earliest experiments occurred in May 1990, uh, rather 1999, when he bid to sell 2,900 megawatts of electricity to the power exchange and scheduled it to move along the transmission line connecting Nevada and Southern California. It was a huge amount of power, enough to supply a mid-sized city, and there was no way to transport along Belden's chosen line, which could only carry 15 megawatts the trick created scarcity because the power couldn't reach california as planned forcing the grid operators to buy replacement power at exorbitant prices and ultimately pay enron to relieve the congestion that it had deliberately created
1: end quote wow is that rack is that a racket uh
0: yeah there's some badminton teetering on it. it i think it's called the shuttlecock sam it's called the shu- oh, shuttlecock. shuttle yeah Cock. You know, so it's just a bunch of private equity firms sticking their little money straws into the pockets of consumers. And, you know, with that, the uh, California energy crisis was off to the races, which is kind of surprising because this is all like all all this is going really smoothly so far. Um, So with all this like stock market esque overcomplicating things to steal from people, bullshit was while all this was going on, real people were being harmed in real ways because PG needs irresponsibility. All of this money is now being generated, right? And the idea behind gener- deregulation is why doesn't everybody get a slice of this sweet cash cake? So one would think with all that new cash from California, you know, from Californians, uh, they'd want to do a little tree cleaning. Um, except they don't do that ever. They don't once prioritize that ever <coughs> once. So, no? No. So on October 16th, 1999, huh? Wynn had pushed a long Ponderosa tree over. This normally would not be anything newsworthy but it fell onto PG&E distribution lines. The electricity caught the tree on fire, which then began to spread, and 11 days later, the Pendola fire had finally been extinguished, but not before it had burned a total of 11,750 acres. The Pendola fire cost fire crews $4.2 million to put out, fire crews that run on taxpayer money. The next year, Julia Roberts stars in the 2000 hit movie Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Um, I should have watched this movie in preparation for the podcast Uh, oh you've never seen seen it no i think i watched it once when i was a little kid but i don't remember it very well
2: it's uh it's kind of a it's not a remote dropper like if it's on you don't just go i gotta finish this movie yeah it's a you should watch it it's a really good movie okay um i don't know how it holds up age-wise like like and all that it's been a minute since i since i saw it but yeah yeah
0: um But yeah, so that movie comes out, and it's a dramatized version of the real-life events that led up to uh, suing PG&E for $330 million over the Hinkley groundwater disaster. So, PG&E's famous! Congratulations, boys. They've earned it. In June of 2000, for some weird reason, California experienced a series of what were called rolling blackouts. there were many factors, but one of them was the fact that a shitload of people lived in California and the population was constantly growing. Another factor was dry rainy season, which meant hydroelectric wasn't producing very well. Another was that many, many people were using air conditioning. Um, and another was that like nobody, and by that I mean like, you know, power and energy companies like PG&E, had thought to build more power plants. By late 1999 <laughs> through 2000 and into 2001, power had become expensive, again for some weird reason. It was so expensive that PG&E was now being forced to fulfill energy demands by taking on debt, and it was quickly beginning to sink. To phrase it differently, PG&E couldn't afford to buy such expensive power, but since it had to, legally, it was beginning to purchase energy with its debt. <laughs> and and to be clear, all of this was because de- deregulation meant that private corporations could now just charge whatever the fuck they want um, by being fucking dicks about it, and uh... That's kind of how this next line from uh, PG&E, sorry, from California Burning indicates. Uh, Quote, on January 16th, 2001, as the grid operator pleaded for Californians to conserve power, an Enron trader identified only as Bill called up a co-conspirator named Rich, who oversaw the small power plant in Las Vegas. Hey, Rich, this is Bill up at Enron, he said. Bill Jr. or Sr.? The third... Bill then asked Rich if he could take the power plant offline the following day uh, just before the afternoon surge in demand. We want you guys to get a little creative and uh, come up with a reason to go down, end quote. And under the guise of a a maintenance inspection, Rich shut down the plant the next day (coughs) during the time that the grid operators were begging for people to use less energy. And the result was a massive demand with little power, which ended up causing blackouts. So these guys are literally creating the, the energy crisis of 2000 and 2001, and uh it's they're making money off of it it's fucking cool you know
2: you know if if they want us to take it seriously uh the rolling blackouts they should have given it not as cool of a sounding name. You know? <laughs> like if you, in any other context if you're like hey i was rolling blackouts last yeah. night you'd be like i don't know what that means but it sounds pretty That's sweet Sick,
0: dude is that a new kind of like beer pong what is it yeah you play beer blackout, bro. With black black out, bro.
2: <laughs> it's bowling until you can't see anymore.
0: Yeah. And so, <laughs> so so PG&E starts failing to deliver energy because the free market is exploiting them. And, uh, and the new deregulation and tells the state something like, yeah, we, we can't actually provide power like you want us to. Can you help us? And so the state of California steps in using billions of its own dollars to manage the electric, uh, electricity market while they do two things bail PG&E out of debt, and figure out what the fuck just happened. The flaw in the system was that PG&E just couldn't afford to buy energy without raising rates for customers. Uh, Third-party energy producers, like those from Texas, were charging ever-increasing rates. In April of 2001, PG&E company, the utility, not the holding company, uh, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. At the end of it all, PG&E had forced the state of California to purchase artificially inflated energy while the state was bailing PG&E out. Because of their fuck-up, not only did PG&E go into $9 billion in debt, but it ultimately cost the state of California and Californians between 40 and $45 billion.
2: But all those individual guys still got to keep their yacht, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, everybody, everybody, like they got to keep the extra, what was left over that 80 mil, like from that, they took the 29, yeah. but they got to keep that 51. They're still, as long as my boys are happy on top.
0: <laughs> as long as my bonus doesn't come up light exactly dude and it reminds me of like nfts you know these people spend money on like literally nothing and it's like 50 billion dollars you know what i mean like oh yeah just to dig pg out and we got fucking nothing for it you know same thing same as an nft you know so i guess what i'm saying is that it's really cool it's really cool and uh in 2003 pg and he was found guilty of criminal negligence in the Mission uh, District substation fire of, of 1996. You know the sub the substation that they didn't upgrade like they were supposed to after the fire. So it's probably a surprise to no one uh, that that same year on December 20th, 2003, the Mission the Mission <laughs> the Mission District substation caught fire again, shutting down oh, power to no. 100,000 customers during the busy holiday shopping time of the year.
2: Same place got fired twice. That's like. Yeah. The same place catching fire twice. That doesn't happen. Inside the, oh,
0: sub- <laughs> inside the substation, there was a shitload of smoke. And so, like, nobody could figure out where the smoke was coming from. Um, and two hours after they had found the smoke, pg and finally called firefighters. The firefighters were able to clear the smoke, but they hadn't found the fire responsible for it. Um, A few minutes later, PG&E restored service to about half the customers affected. And we're now going to read from a CPUC report on this incident, which you can read yourself by following link 6 in the description of the show or the show notes or whatever. Uh, Quote, approximately one hour after service was restored to those to these customers, PG&E located the fire once again uh, and once again interrupted service to the customers it had just recently restored. The SFFD fought and extinguished the fire, and, the, and PG&E once again began the task of restoring service to all of its affected customers. PG&E completed the task late in the evening the next day. End quote. And as I mentioned earlier, PG&E in 1996, when the substation had first caught fire, they had a list of shit for them to improve upon, uh, you know, like their, their emergency plan and prevent fires and stuff like that, and they hadn't done a single fucking one of those things. They hadn't upgraded any fucking <coughs> thing. And, no way. Yeah, guess why, guys? It, it costs money. It costs money, dude. Yeah, it's my How money. money. How much money? Like that? Don't be a peasant substation mission District Yeah. Substation. We don't
2: spend the money; we hoard the money.
0: pg and a Corporation is looking down at them while they're shaking a little can with a uh, with like a yeah, couple of dimes them. in it. You know, give us give us money to upgrade.
2: And they're like, get your own money. It's cool. <laughs> Figure it out, dorks. <laughs>
0: Peter Darby had cut his teeth on Wall Street. In nineteen ninety nine, PGE had hired him to be their chief finance officer, which is like a, a CEO type of position. Uh, but the for sentence money, cut
2: his teeth on, on Wall Street has never led to a good person, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well,
0: let, let's see if you change
2: your mind by the end of this. Uh, I hope. I hope.
0: Yes, yeah, so uh, he's like the chief finance officer, like the CEO position, but for like money oh, I guess like insane. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Um, anyway, he had been at the, uh, the seat during the financial crash and bankruptcy of PG&E and, uh, when it had emerged in 2004, and he was looking to change the face of PG&E, and he was going to transform it, actually, and here's California burning again. Utility exited bankruptcy in April of 2004 with a strong balance sheet; its investment-grade credit rating restored. In December, PG announced that Darby would take, uh, would replace Glynn, which is the CEO, uh, at the start of 2005. Darby, well-groomed and well-versed in the language of investors, vowed to turn PG in, into a modern utility with real money-making potential. End quote. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's not been making real money yet. It's, <laughs> yeah.
0: it's fine. He's like deregulated the market, and they know, but they're making a bunch of money while fucking over California and the result was like bankruptcy where California had to like bail them out. And Darby's finally like, "You guys, now we can make some real fucking money." Woo! We're
1: what, we're what's back. the name of this What's the name of this co- corporation? Uh PG&E. No, no, Darby. Oh, the
0: he's the uh, he's a dude, the head Seattle. Oh, he's a dude. Sorry,
2: sorry, he's sorry. an actual individual. Yeah, if you weren't so busy wow. playing
0: with your magic cards, Sam. I'm not playing. I'm just like scanning.
2: Yeah, guys. I mean, we're just organizing some magic cards here. We're all doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it. You're
0: doing it. They're actually legitimately. Bain they both Homes, have magic cards. Right?
2: Lich, um. So
0: they can make money now, again, so that's that's cool, and by cool I mean fucking infuriating. Um, in July of 2004, the Sims Fire started in the Six Rivers National, uh, in six Rivers National Forest in Trinity County, California, burning uh, 4,000 acres over just six days. On October 13th, 2004, the Fred's Fire started in El Dorado County, and in four days had burned nearly 8,000 acres. While those two were being investigated, time rolled on. In 2005, PG&E equipment failed in San Francisco. The result created an explosion. And I'm going to let SF uh, Gate tell the story here. Quote, For a split second on that sunny Friday afternoon in downtown San Francisco, Lisa Nash was the unluckiest woman in the world. As she walked across the empty intersection of Kearney and Post, an underground Pacific gas and electric company uh, transformer exploded. It blew a manhole cover 30 feet into the air, buckled concrete, and caught the 46-year-old internet marketing executive in a blast of superheated smoke and flame. She lay stunned, crumpled, and scorched on the street with third-degree burns on her hands, face, back, and ankles. And just as suddenly, her luck changed again. As Nash picked herself up from the street, she opened her eyes and remembered thinking, Thank God, I can still see. She broke her, uh, end quote. And she uh, ended up breaking her arm and suffering burns on more than 40% of her body. It was found to be a PG&E equipment
2: failure. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I don't know why I live in the country.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sam, at first it was really awkward that you were laughing. (laughs) I was like, oh no, did you think that whole thing was it is what it's one of those things where it's like human suffering makes me laugh <laughs> no but it is one of those things where it is just like so ridiculous that it seems like unlikely and you kind of just i don't know you have to laugh is not the right way to phrase it but it's you can either laugh about it or cry about it might be a better way to freeze because it is horrifying um, during that same year 2005 pg and had hired a consulting firm called Accenture to help its transformation process because you know Peter Darby's like We're transforming the face of the business. Everything's gonna be different now um, The consulting firm was taking stock kind of counting the assets and things of the like and they were just kind of seeing uh, They wanted to see how PG&E looked when compared and contrasted with its competitors and they immediately ran into the issue of there being no records and many many in many cases, the consulting firm couldn't, access P, uh, couldn't assess PG&E because they had little to no records of their transmission lines nor pipelines. They didn't know their conditions, when they were last maintained, nor when a lot of them were built. The consulting firm told them that they could do a better assessment if PG&E could get better at gathering data. In other words, they said, you know, it might cost a little bit of money, but if you could digitize your archives, you'd, you know, you already have, and continue to add that to, like, the tranche of information, we, it would make things easier going forward uh so that's cool that's
1: so that cool. that probably happened immediately mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah mm-hmm. okay that's what i thought in
0: 2007 five and union leaders stood up in a shareholder meeting so these are like these are people on the fucking line and they're in a shareholder meeting talking to these rich fucks and they're like listen up and it was their only way uh, that their concerns would actually be heard they've been trying for years to get pg&e to pay attention to their message and this was the only way that they could get to the head honchos they told PG&E shareholders that the, the claim Accenture made that PG&E had fewer gas leaks than other companies was ignorance, deception, or a straight-up lie. For years, the gas division had, been, had given incentives to, uh, for, supervisor, for supervisors to find the fewest number of leaks in their lines. This, ostensibly to incentivize well-maintained equipment, backfired. Instead of finding and fixing the leaks, PG&E's gas distribution supervisors were incentivized to just stop reporting them, which was cheaper than fixing them. And this is yeah, because to-
2: if there it, statistics at the end of the year are going to show that you had a, like a, a huge improvement on issues, yeah. because yeah, only four things ever got reported. They're basically telling their their the guys running the operations like, hey, only be able to count to like two. Yeah, and then like after two, the list is full. You can't report anymore. When I
0: think of part of this, and <laughs> yeah. I- I think a part of this is also the uh, you know the orphan shaking the can with dimes in it again. You know, it's like yeah, these yeah. these individual um, people who are inspecting the pipes. They're like, we need you guys to um, give us a budget so that we can fix these things. And they're like, how about you? Uh, how about you just don't find them, huh? Yeah,
2: here's a <laughs> little money. Nothing else said. Just don't tell us about it.
0: Uh, from California, burning. Instead of finding more leaks and fixing more problems up front to reduce the number over time, they simply reported fewer number of them from the start. To the workers, the problems seemed particularly acute with the, uh, within the company's network of distribution pipelines, which branch off larger transmission pipelines and deliver gas to homes and businesses. Oh, shit. Oh, the distribution pipes had been springing a, a dangerous number of leaks, end quote. And by... No big deal. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, Kyle, like, opening your... Uh, your your purse strings and giving these people money to like maintain and repair infrastructure like it would look slightly worse to stockholders, so it's you know Darby would have to report you know slightly less growth to uh to their shareholders uh, than he had promised, which is why they they you know were basically told to, told to stop reporting leaks you know so darby's culture of transformation is is changing things, and that's you know it's cool change you know? is good um yeah well and it's kind of like it's the, the it's kind of like the, the metaphoric equivalent of like a caterpillar entering into a cocoon and just like emerging as a maggot you know like sure something <laughs> transform, but it's not better you know
2: was it good
0: um on december 24th 2008 on the morning of christmas eve a pg&e representative had been disp- dispatched to check out a gas leak For a while, residents of the neighborhood in Rancho Cordova had been complaining about the smell of gas in their East Sacramento neighborhood of Payute Way. A PG&E representative had arrived at 10 a.m. There was a dead patch of grass on the lawn and gas smell. He informed headquarters who dispatched a leak investigator. Again, from Burning, California here. Quote, The investigator got stuck in traffic. Then his truck had brake problems. It was early afternoon by the time he had made it to Payute Way. He spotted the brown patch and had knocked on the door. A 17-year-old girl answered. She directed him to her grandfather who is out in the garage. In the garage, the grandfather told the investigator that PG&E had been there once before, a couple of years earlier, to repair a leak in the same place. The pipe itself was made of crack-prone plastic called Adel a and PG&E had done a poor job of repairing it. The investigator walked into the yard and placed a gas detector above the dead grass. It registered 60,000 parts per million, a combustible concentration. Moments later, at 1.36 p.m., the granddaughter sneaked into the bathroom to light a cigarette. The house exploded. The grandfather died. Everyone else, daughter, granddaughter, investigator, were rushed to the hospital. End quote. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it, it, it's starting to stack up. Starting to stack up. Uh, sure. I mean,
2: why Why is that 12-year-old girl smoking cigarettes is the real big issue we need to <laughs> this too, all right? For real, for real, for real, for real. For real. Let's yeah. take some of that money that we stole and donate it to an anti-tobacco ad, and that'll look good in the papers.
0: I think she might have been 17, but yeah, 17-year-old girl. But either way, yeah, like... That, that's the thing we really should be focusing on here. Yeah,
2: if we she hadn't lit that cigarette, it would have just been a slightly major gas leak.
0: Maybe we can sue the tobacco companies.
2: <laughs> yeah. Mm, lighters. Bick, we're coming for you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're coming for you, Bick. <laughs> no more
2: pens, no more lighters, nothing.
0: Yeah. Shortly no- after... Nothing.
2: Nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not even matches shortly after a union oh, wow. <laughs> shortly thereafter the explosion uh, a union leader tom Dazell, marched into pg&e headquarters and spoke to darby in his hand he had a mock-up of the union company's uh newsletter which read utility in trouble and highlighted with photos aging infrastructure in the newsletter it said it's not hard to find evidence that pg&e is a utility in trouble just look up end quote so tom uh, threatened Peter Darby with, it, with like, this, this newsletter saying they need to make changes or he would be forced to publish this uh, entirely true union newspaper. Darby pleaded with him not to, punish, uh, to publish it and asked how he could uh, get him to not print it. Uh, Dazelle told him to just listen to the union workers. Like, they were, uh, they, quote, were best positioned to help fix the problems Darby's transformation had wrought, end quote. Ultimately, it wouldn't be published, but the problems leading to that moment also wouldn't be addressed. Uh... None of those exe- executives listen to the workers because, you know, the executive's risk is financial, whereas, like, the workers' risk is bodily. And it's li- it's kind of just like a, I pay you to be in danger kind of a, a vibe that I'm getting anyway. So, that's uh fun. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, in October yeah. of 2009, PG&E paid a 15, uh, $15.75 million settlement to the victims of the Pandola Fire. I'm going to uh, mention it again because it, it bears repeating. Nearly every settlement pg has paid up to this point is like pretty much always something like this settlement is the large second largest or this is the largest ever settlement and blah blah blah. And so it's it's cool upward trends. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is you know as profits go up, <laughs> they also get to spend more money on causing accidents. So it's, it's kind perfect. of yeah, for win-win <laughs> for everyone. Um, on December 9th, 2010, uh, in the evening, an explosion erupted through a small neighborhood at San Bruno. The rupture, uh, a rupture in a pipeline big enough that one could climb into uh, occurred and set fire immediately. It blew a 30,000-pound piece of steel out of the ground, landing nearby. The hole was half the size of a football field. In total, 38 homes were destroyed, 78 were damaged, 8 people died, and almost 60 people were injured. After what the a fuck? F- a few. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty crazy. A few days later, rather than show up himself, Peter Darby sent a new executive, Geisha Williams, to spend to speak with the incredibly angry crowd that had formed in uh, St. Robert's Catholic Church. Uh, she do, she was set up to answer questions from the neighborhood. And rightly so, people were furious. People were asking about whether, uh, other gas, where other gas lines were so that they could keep an eye out for them. And Williams responded that she couldn't tell them because they were, uh, couldn't tell them where they were, citing security concerns, because this is like post-9/11 and shit. Right. So later, investigators would, fi- would find out that this particular pipe that had led to the San Bruno explosion had been poorly welded, and the pipe had also been laid in 1956. A CPUC guy sent a letter to pg es head of regulatory relations, asking if he could guarantee public safety, to which the PGE dude responded, quote, God knows what is underground. That said, they, P G E, are working feverishly to come up with answers, end quote.
2: Oh, solid line, man.
0: Yeah, really nailed it. Um, <laughs> we're going to take a little bit of a breaky-poo, and when we get back, we're going to really see, yeah we're gonna see what he's okay. up to so those guys those those, those, those rascals during the national transportation safety board investigation they discovered that not only did pg need not know who manufactured the pipe but that it was likely more uh it was likely that more of that pipe was used. What's worse, in order to find out, uh, in order to find out this information, the NTSB had uh, that they had to sift through files of paper. pg e had not bothered to digitize a lot of its information. What's still worse uh, was the fact that much of pg es paperwork was stored in a ton of different filing boxes throughout many different offices in Northern California. In order to well, get perfect <laughs> <faces laughs> moving parts. <laughs> Man, what year is this? This is fucking, this is 2010. <laughs> it's not like the 90s anymore, like Michael Crichton style, you know? <laughs> um, so in order to get them all in one place, pg and purchased a quarter million square foot arena south of San Francisco. And from California Burning, quote, forklifts delivered hundreds of pallets stacked with ten thousand, tens of thousands of boxes, end quote. And so they're loading just tens of thousands of pallets of boxes into this fucking arena.
2: (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Smart.
0: Yeah, smart. Pretty cool. Well, now they they got them all in one place, you know? Now it's conveniently located. So that's cool.
2: (laughs) And not anywhere near... Things burn down all the time. That, Good. <laughs> that
0: part just cracks me up yeah. for some reason. Because again, it makes me think of just like Michael Crichton books, like a, a Jurassic Park, when like you know computers were the newfangled thing that were happening. But it's uh, oh yeah. uh, you know utility. <laughs> uh, anyway, while they were <laughs> while they were pouring through their papers, PG and uh, PG and E allow Peter Darby to resign, giving him a thirty four point eight million dollar retirement package in two thousand eleven. Go on, get out of here, you scamp. Anthony F. Early Jr. would replace Darby uh, that September with a clear mission of getting back <laughs> yeah. to basics. Yeah, yeah. That's a great <laughs> say, name. Say that name again? <laughs> Is
2: yeah. it Anthony F. Early Jr.? <laughs> it's Anthony
0: F. Early Jr., yeah. <laughs> wow. have mercy.
2: Yeah, what so- does the F stand for? That it's so important that it's in there, but not important enough to get its whole word.
0: Trust me, it's very important. For some reason, we're not going to get into.
2: This middle name is Finance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Actually, a veteran leader of a U.S. nuclear submarine, Early had overseen a crew of dudes, but was a different kind of leader than one would think. Early had a, had a philosophy of being a servant leader. He, Early, didn't know the ins and outs of how to operate a nuclear sub, let alone specific parts of the sub, yet his crew did. Early's servant-leader philosophy showed him that uh, his job was to be the conductor of the orchestra, allowing each of its very pieces to exercise their expertise in their fields. His job, in simple language, was to remove obstacles that impeded their ability to exercise their expertise. He started by investing $400 million into pipeline maintenance and repairs. So, this guy seems pretty cool. Like, Mr. Early Jr. comes into the yeah. pg hot seat, and he's like what's going on how can we fucking let's get this shit going and for once <coughs> and for once nobody's like let's make some money like he's not <laughs> he's not <laughs> he's not, <laughs> he's not a, a person screaming that which is like i don't know better Better? yeah <laughs> um nick stavroppoulos uh stavropoulos god i hope i don't have to say that more uh had been brought could <laughs> <laughs> be brought in so early junior uh, hires nick Stavropopoulos, uh stav Stavropoulos... St- anyway, you can't make this shit up, people. And had been uh, So he had been brought in to examine the entirety of PG&E's gas lines. He w- had worked for Keyspan Corporation, overseeing enormous and complicated pipeline networks on the East Coast. Keyspan was another energy producer with its own blowing up people's homes problem. Um, but he had taken the brunt of public negativity when he took personal responsibility for a home blowing up on the East Coast. And that earned him some respect. Hired by PG&E in 2011, Stavropoulos... St- Nick was coming in with a <laughs> <laughs> Nick was coming in with a don't give me any bullshit attitude to pipeline maintenance. With the four hundred million dollar influx over two years, uh he sent crews out to begin inspection of several hundreds of miles of pipeline. So, we finally get some progress. You know, things aren't so fucking goddamn dreary and uh
2: a bit and this is only like fifteen years or so after the deregulation, right? Like it did happen pretty. Yeah. quick.
0: yeah, pretty quick for the system. A decade
2: too. and a half. Yeah, <laughs> in, in relative terms to all of human existence, it was a blink of an eye.
0: Yeah, I love your your optimistic. You should be. You should get yeah. PR.
2: You
1: should get everything.
2: I I could use my ability to spin for evil, and sometimes I do. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to do it that way
0: pg and would pay you a lot. Anyway, in October of 2011, PG&E was testing a pipeline when they heard a blast. A pipeline burst in the center of an alfalfa field near Bakersfield, California. However, this was a successful explosion. Though it left a crater in the field, the pipe had been pumping water through it as a test. Fuck. Nick had found three failures that year while testing 160 miles of pipeline. Later, they would purchase and use uh, pigs, which were... Um, they were pipeline inspection devices that uh, had already been standard throughout much of the industry. Um, prior to Nick's um, arrival, PG&E. Why did I use his last name so fucking much, Jesus? Prior to Nick's arrival, PG&E uh, was testing a pipeline. Uh, no, I just read that. Uh, prior to Nick, PG&E had spent much more uh, maintaining its electrical system than its gas systems, and after you know after he had arrived, all of that had changed immensely. Their gas systems were gradually improving due to the company's ability to focus for a fucking second on the thing that literally runs its goddamn business. Well, half of it, uh, because it didn't spend as much attention on its electrical grid. (laughs) From California Burning, uh, Nick suggested to colleagues in the electric division that they invite the consulting firm he'd use to have a look. The response? Not necessary, end quote. So... The electricity side of things is like, we're good, man. We got we got this fucking on lock. Trust us. <laughs> it's
2: handled. Don't worry.
0: Yeah, and as we'll see through the rest of this episode, they really, they really proved that to everyone. Uh, also in 2011,
1: just a really capable. Yeah. <laughs> My fucking god, competence. My, exactly we're
0: seeing some goddamn competence and some accountability also in 2011 the cpuc had finally ordered southern california utilities to begin planning to address wildfire risks prior to 2011 uh southern california was the place uh, most of the wildfires had been and had been at their worst so the cpuc didn't even uh, think to address pg about their wildfire plans despite the looming drought that seemed to be overhanging the northern california region So, while CPUC told Southern California to prepare and, like, get their shit together, you know, for dealing with wildfire and, like, getting equipment, uh, CPUC looked over at PG&E, and I'm not fucking making this up, guys. It was just like, hey, do your best. Use your best judgment. California
1: California burning here. That didn't go badly. California
0: burning here. Quote, Commission instead directed PG&E to make a good faith effort to determine whether there was a credible possibility of extreme fire weather events in its sprawling service territory. Only then would the company have to draft a fire prevention plan. End quote. So that's
1: cool. <laughs> so now I understand what you said the other day to me, Lauren, mm-hmm. about um, what was it that I said? I mean, upset.
0: <laughs> what what were the words that I used, Sam? Um
1: oh man, I don't really something about rage, You're I'm sure. Be
0: pissed off, I think is what I said. Yeah. <laughs> the next <Success>. year... <laughs> The next oh, year man. in two thousand twelve, the CPUC only had about thirty people working in the safety and enforcement division. The entire apparatus meant to police all of California's energy businesses had thirty people enforcing <laughs> the goddamn
1: safety rules. It's fucking insane. I don't know why you'd need more.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of shocked that there was that many. I figured it'd be like five I thought Two, you said thirteen you know, like... and I
1: was that's reasonable. Yeah, that's a
0: normal number, yeah. Well indeed, yeah. because if we've learned anything we know that corporations are self accountable, you know, that they'll call themselves yeah. on their own shit and that's why Total, we allow them to handle it internally, you know. It's much like the um Baptist church.
2: Yes. Uh,
0: exactly that year in 2012 the CPUC told PG&E to take a look at their transmission lines along the path of the Diablo winds but again this is just kind of like a suggestion they're like hey guys you know make your do a judgment call uh, on these transmission lines and the Diablo winds they blow during late summer and fall from the high pressure and thus hot and dry regions of Utah and Nevada over the Sierra Nevada mountains into California Uh, PG&E was told that they should assess the threat that sustained gusts pose to their power lines they took a year to do it and discovered that the system had, quote, fundamental flaws. PG&E's assessment hadn't considered falling trees or tree branches when they began their investigation. and they began their investigation under the assumption that all the transmission lines in that area were well maintained.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we
2: wow. said do your best. We're sure they did their best.
0: Yeah. Well we know they're gonna we do their best. Don't need the
2: check. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. It's called the honor system. They wouldn't right. dishonor it. No.
0: Wow. Sir, do you have any um do you have any reason to believe that your transmission lines and the trees next to them have been well maintained? It,
2: well, Not at all. I, mean, I don't look, not at all, man. It's good. I just
0: like feel like
2: we're good at it, you know? Out of sight, out of mind. That's what I <laughs> <have> think, <faith, man>. it. <laughs> I pray I for it. it everything will be all right i prayed to george michael he said you gotta have faith and i went that's where we're going with it (laughs)
0: um yet another consulting firm had been hired around this same time and found that pg and e's 230 kilovolt lines are decades old quintana uh the consulting firm uh determined that about 60 percent of the towers supporting their network uh were built between 1920 and 1950 155 kilovolt lines, however, were the oldest of all, what dating, the back actual to... <laughs> <fuck>? <laughs> dating back to when Great Western and PG&E were still rivals. Quintana, in its assessment, was unable to determine the age of about 6,900 towers supporting them. It found that nearly 30% of the remaining towers, more than 3,500, were installed in the first two decades of the 20th century. End quote. <laughs>
2: Negligence is so cool. <laughs> I like it when it becomes criminal. That, yeah.
0: Yeah, we had to cut it out. But it
2: puts the well-being of others unknowingly at risk.
0: Yeah. We just. just we, I had to hmm. cut it out, but there's like a little story of like... Um, the one of the reasons they found out that one of their towers was so old was because uh, some area was considering making it a historical national monument because <laughs> the energy tower was so old.
2: <laughs> like, God, like this now is like the first one they ever made. It's <laughs> right there still. Guys, get this—it works. Oh man! <laughs> Go inside, turn on the light. That's that thing. Also, also in two
0: thousand twelve. PG&E and two subcontractors, Davies Tree, Expert Co., and Western Environmental Consultants settled uh, the federal lawsuits for the 2004 uh, 2004 Sims and Fred's fires, ultimately paying only, according to ABC10, quote, 6.1 million of the $29.5 million settlement, end quote. That same year, on September 5th, 2012, it was revealed that between 1997, when PG&E had become deregulated, and 2010, PG&E had, from California burning, quote, Spent $39 million less than it told regulators it would spend on pipeline operations and maintenance.
2: So. <laughs> okay. So. Ah, I love are your they counting glance. The bonuses, are they counting the bonuses that they're given to the guys for not reporting the issues? Are they counting that? Because that's money the spent? cost of doing business. Yeah. So they have spent, they have like $40 million that they are supposed to have spent mm-hmm. more. And instead it seems like they could just get out of their own way and fix the problem <laughs> we could just stop running around in circles trying to avoid fixing the problem i don't it's know it's a thing that i like to call in my personal life reverse laziness i dropped the remote mm-hmm. it's 13 inches too far away from my foot but I will slide as low in my chair as I can to stay
0: old.
2: be in the chair. Yeah. To get the remote instead of just standing up. Yeah. Get the remote and sit back. I will exert so much more energy <laughs> on this just futile gesture. You can, you can um, half acid,
0: I guess,
1: is the the message. Like of it, what I'm you know? thinking is that <laughs> it is happening in
2: California. Yeah, so good enough is real. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. And getting done in like you know la time you know like that's definitely it's the i'll meet you at noon see at four o'clock um yeah. <laughs> like everybody everything's four hours behind so like when comes to business that's like dog gear style math so it's been like exactly. i don't know 15 minutes to them
0: yeah <laughs> exactly so, this next story that we're going to talk about uh it's not from what i understand pg&e's fault but it is a really interesting like bit of hi- history for pg&e so um Early in the morning of April 16th, 2013, an unknown number of gunmen sat outside the Metcalf transmission substation outside of San Jose.
1: This just got interesting. Okay. I'm listening.
0: Shortly after, <laughs> shortly after cutting an AT&T telecommunications line, surveillance footage showed that it shows a streak of light, possibly a flashlight signal before gunfire began. At 1.37am, and received an alarm from the motion detectors at Metcalf substation evidence showed a small stack of rocks used sometimes to scout firing positions was next to about 100 spent 762 by 39 rounds to this day uh in the beginning of what is it august september um nobody knows who did it but many indication sam your mic is off 7.62 by
1: 39 yep so ak rounds
0: yeah, okay. I mean, it's not yeah. strictly AK rounds, but yeah, it's, it's it's SKS
1: AK, but that's what that's yeah. what, yeah.
0: And it seems like they were uh, more long rifles than like a fully automatic, like because this is actually called the the Metcalf Sniper Attack, so it would indicate that maybe that it was it was like an SKS and not a full automatic weapon. I I mean honestly, I don't know. There's a hundred rounds there, so either could be r- real, you know. Um,
2: maybe there was a hundred snipers. Yeah.
0: One shot. <laughs> oh. One person went up to that stack of rocks, <laughs> shot, and then walked away.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, again, to this day uh, in September of 2023, nobody knows who did it, but many indications point to the sophistication of the attack. CNN in 2015 wrote, quote, While we have not yet identified the shooter, there are some indications it was an insider, said Caitlin Durkovich, an assistant secretary for infrastructure protection at the Department of Homeland Security, end quote.
1: Okay. What got shot?
0: Uh, a bunch of their like transmission, like power generators, and like it, it's a substation,
1: and so this is where, okay. it, this is where it's electricity just like travels. Gunning, in to be yeah, alert. no, 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 they're just yeah. gunning yeah. down transformers and shit. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's pretty weird.
0: And speaking of inside jobs, in two in 2014, the city of San Bruno during its suit with PG, oh, we going 9-11. I was like, we're going backwards. <laughs> oh, PG&E that's <laughs> Um, During its suit with PG&E for the uh, devastation, the city of San Bruno, during its suit with PG&E for the devastation it caused, requested PG&E records, particularly emails. And uh, while sorting through those emails, it was discovered that PG&E and CPUC had an overly friendly relationship. See, according to CPUC's own rules, and I cannot stress enough that they are supposed to be the iron-fisted watchdog of PG&E, Um, Absolutely zero communication is supposed to occur between uh, PG&E and CPUC privately. Everything is supposed to be out in broad daylight, you know, in uh, public, so people can see what's going on. Um, And, you know, it all all needs to be on the record. Um, But the city of San Bruno was able to obtain PG&E's email records showing that CPUC and PG&E were what I'm calling buddy-buddy. According to KOED, quote... There are multiple instances of PV, which is the CPUC guy, arranging to meet with Cherry, the PG&E guy. Um, for holiday visits that involved sipping wine, a keyword search of email records shows uh, for the words Pinot or Cabernet, for example, yielded 16 separate items. But the I t-
2: thought you were going penis there. I was kind getting,
0: <laughs> get, getting, <laughs> getting excited.
2: Getting like, wow, on. they are really friendly.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Overly friendly as it was
0: <laughs> they- they fell in love, actually. This is a weird, like, Shakespeare. They're literally in bed together. Yeah, this is a Romeo and Juliet situation.
1: <laughs> a, a pox on both your houses.
0: Uh, so, continuing the quote, but the two of the closest confidants were Cherry and then CPUC directive, uh, executive director Paul Clannan. The, d- the collection of documents provided by pg e shows that between 2010 and 2014, Cherry and Clannen were on 2,369 of the same email threads using their official email addresses. That's an average of 11 times a week. And there's a lot, there's a lot more of this that you listener c- can find if you want more. Um, you can find the link uh, to the K O E D article under link seven. Um, but as for our purposes, we're only going to go through one more email before moving on because it's just there's just like so many crimes um anyway <laughs> here's another quote from that article quote it was 7 a.m on september 16th 2010 one week after the san bruno pipeline explosion cpuc executive director paul clannon emailed pg and es uh, brian cherry with a simple message in the subject line happy birthday thanks cherry replied he shared his birthday wish i'd love to have an i'd love a nice muzzle for mark tony mark tony is executive director of the uh, utility reform network a leading critic of just PG and E, <laughs> <End quote. laughs> so they're happy yeah, birthdaying yeah. with each other, and just like, man, I wish this guy would get off both of our asses, right?
2: Subtly <laughs> totally ordering a hit on a man. It's you
0: and me against the world, buddy. <laughs> it's pretty cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: nothing
1: wrong about
2: that. No,
0: nothing. Well, and that's, that's
1: not collusion.
0: It, it, well, it's same. What it is, is this a story of friendship. Yeah,
2: you're right. You were so (laughs) right. At the heart of all that we've been doing all these episodes, it's about about friendship and love. (laughs) And it turns out the real friend was the oil company all along. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So while all that's hilariously stupid – that same year, March 3rd of 2013, a one-bedroom cottage in Carmel, California, exploded. According to SF Gate, the owner said it was uh, an incredibly lucky thing that no one was hurt, as he was out of the house and the crew that had been sent to fix the leak were stuck in traffic. Which is another... Like, we see that again all of a sudden. Stuck in traffic? The real in cr- LA? The real criminal is... Uh, this is Carmel, so yeah, in the Southern California somewhere. But we're finding out the real criminal here is traffic, so... It's, Wait,
2: Carmel, it's Carmel Carmel by the Sea, like the where Clint Eastwood was the mayor. That's great.
0: I think so. They just used the name Carmel. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, I think they shortened it, but it used to be Carmel by the Sea.
0: Um, yeah. When asked about the records of the pipes there, Greg Snapper, PG&E spokesman, said, quote, we didn't have the accurate maps and we don't know what happened, end quote. And it was another faulty plastic pipeline. One month after the Carmel explosion, federal, federal prosecutors had gone through more than one or 10 million pages of pg and like paper records uh, in regards to the San Bruno explosion. In April of 2014, prosecutors had slapped pg and with 12 charges, all for being egregious dickheads. The 12 felonies were specifically for federal uh, uh, pipeline violations and from California burning pg and uh, sorry, quote, pg and the prosecutors alleged, had a history of treating the law with knowing defiance prosecution didn't buy the idea of simple negligence it set out to prove the company's criminal intent each of the charges began the same way PGE, through its act through actions of its employees knowingly and willfully violated the law on april 21st 2014 pg pleaded not
2: guilty so that's uh, yeah way. no shit yeah as they have the individual's right to do
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh PG&E investors didn't know exactly what being found guilty would mean, uh, but they were very comfortable in knowing that while the company would be in trouble, none of them would ever visit a prison uh, just because of all this. And knowing that, yeah. uh, and 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 this is because of the umbrella corporation thing we've talked about. You know, when you add layers and layers on top of this business, no one person can be held liable. And that's kind of the message that I'm taking from these episodes so far. You know, it takes teamwork to accomplish the dream of fucking up people's lives for money. Again, a story of teamwork. <laughs> Sarcasm aside, what's, this is what's called the diffusion of responsibility. And, you know, it's kind of the psychosocial, uh, the socio-psychological phenomenon at place here. It's literally the premise of that, of that like, short story, whose job is it anyway? You know? Uh, it, not I like mine. It. Yeah. And it's a, it's a short little story, and it goes like this. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job that could be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. So that's kind of what we're seeing here. We're seeing a lot of this, like, passing the buck, and everybody's like, Won't somebody do yeah. something? And, and those people are kind of just more performatively screaming about it.
1: Well, we're going to send it to committee and get to the bottom of this. We're <laughs> searching for answers. We've got 47
0: different committees going on. Trust us. The good.
1: responsible parties will be held <laughs> accountable. I love your the
0: listeners couldn't see it, but you did the holding a pen. The thing. Obama, yeah, the Obama, Obama hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, again, pg es basic position is just like, look, man, we're trying. We can't be everywhere at all at once, you know. So, it's cool. In July of the same year, 2014, prosecutors leveled another charge against pg and for willfully obstructing the National Transportation Safety Board's investigation into San Bruno, which brought their charges up to, quote, one count of obstruction and 27 counts of violating pipeline laws. During this trial, existential quote <laughs> would be...
2: Fuck, <laughs> oh, man. Jesus, goddamn Christ.
0: <laughs> during the trial existential questions would be raised about the very nature of suing pg and should pg and be charged as a company if one person within the company caused this should they be sued was it the managers executives if the blame lies solely on one person which person uh is it a longer chain of blame to be looked at after all workers for years have been silenced when they brought up infrastructure issues since they were on the ground should they be to blame their supervisors their supervisors supervisors regional directors ceos shareholders how do you charge this kind of crime against the nation's (coughs) largest utility provider well next episode we're going to discuss a little bit more about pg e and see if they've finally gotten their act together
2: which I'm sure they this have. Is when all, this is when it all gets good and happy. How
0: well they're doing now.
2: We're <laughs> going to wrap this up like the fucking notebook, dude. Just a real tearjerker. Yeah, just, just two old process. dead people in a bed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like the <that>. notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll I, be on fire. Who it, knows?
0: And, it, and it's those two PG&E and CPUC guys that were sending emails yeah. back to each other. It's I love you so much. Yeah. I love you too, honey. I
2: got you that muzzle you wanted.
0: <laughs> so until then, guys, do you have anything you want to plug? Do you have anything that you where people can find you doing stuff or something cool you oh. saw on the internet?
2: Ooh, um, I don't, I don't know when this is gonna air, but if you're in the Poconos, my band is playing a thing called Pine Ridge Fall Fest in Albrightsville, PA. Um, there's a lot of really nice vendors there. Uh, you can have a real good time with the vendors. Nice. It's a fun playing. When? Uh, they, when is uh, September fifteenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth. We were playing Sunday the seventeenth on stage B. Uh, and uh, it sounds cool to say it that way with no context there are only two stages
0: uh, <laughs> Well, another
2: stage, stage but I call it stage B uh, so it uh, sounds more distinguished but then, yeah, then you can go to houseboat.live that's a URL you can go there and see all my other crap
0: all his other junk I'm sorry Jump. to say, Kyle, this will be coming out after your shows. So
2: That's totally fine. You should have been there, guys. What's, the you wrong?
0: what's your fucking problem, listeners? Go back in video time.
2: You
1: fucking missed
2: it.
0: <laughs> Sam, do you have anything to say here at the end? Plug something? Think something's cool?
1: Some final thoughts? Last words? Yeah, all of it. Um, all of it. You know, after careful consideration... Mm -hmm. i don't (laughs) (laughs) save it save
0: it all right well cool you can find us listeners black sheep and bad apples on facebook you can also find us on patreon and just a quick note about that it's currently empty but we are soon to be putting up bonus content and bonus episodes and segments and behind the scenes and shit like that so if you enjoy listening you can consider donating
2: Oh, good, because I've been doing an under the desk cam that I'm just recording for myself. That that would work for it. Yeah, yeah that, that would
0: be really yeah. good. So Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> so we're here, gonna. You can find. We're going I'm gonna do an OnlyFans. Touching yeah, Kyle's, is on on Kyle's crotch cam going on Kyle's
2: crotch cam. It's good. Anyway, Ooh.
0: It's Kyle, Sam, thank you guys for being here again. Thank you, listeners, for listening, and we will see you on our next episode, the finale of the PG&E series.
2: Ah, chica, chica, ca. ah,
0: chica, chicka boom,
2: boom, boom. Chica, chica.